Welcome to C3 Church Tugra. You're about to hear a message from our senior pastor, Julie Oldfield. Get ready to be inspired to live your best life. that we're living in a a pretty fast-changing world. I mean, when I think back, say to my mum, my mum didn't have electricity. She used to say as a little girl how they would like carry candles around into their rooms so they could see. No wonder they were all blind. They They all wore glasses. Is that right, Pat? Did you have electricity as a little girl? You might have been a bit better off than my mum. She was a farm girl. You didn't have it? No. Get Just gas. Yeah. Mum just had candles. I know they had a wood stove. I know that when she ironed, they, she used to heat the iron up on the wood stove to iron, ladies. And you complain. <clears throat> it's, it's changed. I mean, that's only two generations ago. It's changed so fast. I mean, we never had computers. Thank God, says a few people. Um, I remember when we got the first television. I mean, the first time I ever saw a television was a little black and white television about this big and we had a whole um, uh, room full of kids and we all got called in in primary school to watch the landing on the moon. And it was the first time I ever saw a television. It was black and white and I just went, so amazing. And I'm not, like, I'm not ancient. You know, it's changing so fast. And it's so great. I mean, technology, I'm not knocking it. It's good and it's bad. Like, it has, I mean, there's never been a greater time where we can reach the whole world with the gospel of Jesus Christ through technology. When I used to read in the Bible, Jesus is going to appear in the clouds and the whole world is going to see it, I thought, how is the whole world going to see? And then you think, ah, technology. It's almost like it's being set up for those days. But in amongst that technology, there's a change that's going on in our communities, in our relationships, in our, in our connections. They're becoming more distant. They're saying that kids, you know, young people right now about, say, my daughter Gemma's age, 19, who have grown up with text messaging and emailing and not being able to talk on the phone anymore. I say, Gemma, just ring up for that job interview. And she goes, I'll just text them. No, you've got to ring up. You've actually got to talk to someone. It's like panic attack. Talk to someone. What's that? And what they're saying is that we've even lost our ability, or especially young people that have grown up with this technology, they've actually lost their ability to communicate with each other properly because they cannot read body language anymore. They're so used to just texting and emailing and Facebooking and that they can't even read body language. So they're reacting. You might be just sitting there just, and they're just going, I know she hates me, I know it. Like, she hates me, and the world's going to end. And when I walk into the room, everybody's looking at me weird because 
and they've got getting all these like paranoia and and, and all this stuff going on because they cannot read your body language because they're not used to having that personal contact, looking into the eyes of someone and kind of knowing what someone's saying just by their body language. Like I've lived with Phil long enough to know that before he even wants a cup of tea, I know that I'm putting the kettle on because he just gets this fidgety thing about him. He just gets a bit fidgety and I'll go, you want a cup of tea? Oh, duh, how'd you know? Just like, I just know. Because there's this body language. So it's, there's this whole community thing. When, when, we, when we grew up as kids in the 50s, 60s, I know it's a long time ago. But it doesn't seem a long time ago to me. It's a minute ago, believe me. And when we grew up, it was like on a Saturday or afternoons when you get home from school, you know, you would come into the house, you would have like, you know, five peanut butter sandwiches or whatever mum could stuff to fill us up, you know, as much bread as she could because we couldn't afford anything else. So just buy loaves of white bread and just fill them up with white bread and peanut butter. And you'd have peanut butter sandwiches and then she would say, right, out of here. And you would just have to get out of the house uh, every afternoon, weekend, Saturday, you were not allowed to sleep in you get up early, you have your breakfast, and she'd say, all right, out. And my mum would say to us, there were six of us, and she would say, all of you go, go and play. I don't want to see you. If you need to come home for lunch, if you can't find anyone to feed you, come home for lunch. But if not, I'll see you this afternoon, but get home before it gets dark. And that's what community was like. You were safe. You could go out. We used to go down and just play down the creek all day. We'd catch tadpoles. We'd climb trees. You know, we'd play in the mud. We'd play fantasy games about, you know, this is my world and this is your world and there's princes and princesses jumping out and, you know, we'd play this stuff. And then one of the kids would say, hey, who wants a sandwich at my house? And we'd all go, yeah. And we'd go back to that house. And there would be this mum with rows of sandwiches. She said, okay, come on, kids, I'll feed you. And everybody just get fed by the community mum, whoever we chose that day. And everyone would end up at that house. You know, huh? They're always good sandwiches. It was a terrible thing when you were gluten intolerant as a child and celiac, you didn't know about it. You always come out with stomach aches after all the white bread. But they were great times. I remember like cracker night. Um, you know, we were actually allowed to have crackers and we would actually, you could go up to the local corner shop and buy, you know, penny bungers and crackers. And my dad would go up and get a whole big box full of crackers. All the neighbours, all the neighbourhood, we'd be yelling out over the fences, who's getting the biggest bonfire tonight? And whoever could build the biggest bonfire, the whole neighbourhood would gang on your house and be in your backyard. My friends used to pull down their, their, their parents' fence palings so they could get the biggest bonfire. And Dad would come home, the fence is gone. And it's like, oh, well, neighbours are coming over here tonight. And we'd all get mush, uh, marshmallows and sticks and we'd all sit around the fire. And then, you know, the dads would set up all the... the um, firecrackers and let the crackers off and we'd all just be the most beautiful, magical time. But you didn't just share it as a family. It wasn't just your family and there's your fences and no one. It was like the community. 
you know, someone would yell out in the afternoon, this cricket game on, cricket game, someone would go up and down the street and all the kids would come running out from all the houses, cricket game in the street, traffic stops, you know, just the kids playing together from all communities, all walks of life. I mean, yeah, we got into scuffs and beat each other up a bit and probably go into a bit of trouble, but it was fun. It was community, you know what I mean? <laughs> I remember New Year's Eve, you know, we'd have New Year's Eve and everybody would sort of be in their own homes for New Year's Eve. I mean, in the, in the community that I grew up in, most dads got drunk anyway, but so the kids, it was fun. We could just do whatever we wanted to. And um, while the dads were drunk, we'd all just have fun. But our dads used to all, with their empty beer cans, that they'd be, here's a beer can, kid, fill it with stones. And we'd fill the beer cans with stones and cover it over with tape so that when midnight hit, all the dads, even though they were drunk, they would throw us into the back of their utes and their, and their station wagons, no seatbelts, and they would drive throughout the streets and all us kids would hang out the windows going, Happy New Year! With our, with our cans, of, cans with stones in them, screaming out. And it was so loud. The whole community was so loud when it struck midnight and everybody would be kissing. And then the whole street would come into the... The whole of my street would come into the middle of the street. Everybody would join hands. And these are, you know, all people that, you know... They were friends. And we'd join hands and we'd all sing Old Ang Syne, you know, in the middle of the street. And I wouldn't have a clue what it was all about. And most of the men couldn't stand up. Old Ang Syne. But it was like community. It was messy community, but it was in community. <laughs> you know, we did life together. And now we just have our, you know, our, our communities, our social interaction is getting more and more disjointed and we're moving further and further away and, and it's just like, you know, it's, it says, you know, there's a, a saying that says it takes a, a whole village to raise a, raise a child and I see so many mums, you know, that are alone and they're, you know, got no one to look after their kids because say like Ali, you know, got no family in Australia and just going, you know, well, you know, we can't go out in a day because we've got no one to look after our kids. And so people are being more and more isolated, moved away from families. It's just, it's just really sad. What's the answer to all that? <laughs> What's the, an the answer to all that is the church because I believe it's the only place on earth that still has true community. I believe it's the only place on earth that still look, where, uh, where people still look into your eyes and can still be real with you. I believe it's the only place on earth where we can connect together and actually be a family outside of family, where we can be there for one another, where we can cover each other's backs, where we can babysit each other's kids, you know, where we can visit each other when we're sick, where we can just be there for each other. This is the most incredible force on the earth today. It's called love, but it's not just wishy-washy love. It's love that is there in good times and bad times. It's love that doesn't speak behind your back. It's love that, that gets you. It's love that puts up with your stuff. It's love that you don't have to be a certain size, shape. Or, you know, the Bible talks about that we're living stones fitted together to build the house of God. And I love that because we're not bricked. We're not conformed. We don't have to be, you know, a certain way to fit with each other. 
You know, I can't stand it when people in the church say you have to dress a certain way, you have to act a certain way, you know. Everybody has to be the same. You know, you can't come to my church. Some, some places, even in America, and that you can't come to my church unless you, the women wear dresses, unless the men wear suits and ties, unless the women have hats on. And, you know, it's just like, ugh. no, we're living stones. We're living stones. That means we're different shapes, different shapes. For those of you on podcast, that was a funny face that I just pulled of a funny shape. And we're different. We're different. We're different. But somehow we fit together. Now, if you know how a stonemason fits a wall together, if they're all different shapes, stones, he's got to really move those things around until they, that bit kind of fits with that bit and that bit. And that's what it does when you come into a church. It's sort of like, oh, do I fit in this church? It, it feels like home, but do, I, but do I fit? And then you, you try and, you know, fit your little piece into someone else's little piece and their piece just nudges you and it's like, no. And then people just leave. People just walk out of a relationship without giving it you know, any time or any effort or trying to fit and make it work because we are different and people are going to get on your nerves and different personalities are going to bug you or whatever. But it's like a marriage, Jesus said. You've got to work at it and make it work because we're the only thing on earth that has got hope for the earth. We are the only hope for the earth. The love that we are in this building right now, just the love of Christ in you, the love that he's pouring in you and through you for one another is the only hope this world has. And we have to hang on to community, even though the whole of culture is pulling us away from it in every direction, even though there's powers and principalities that are trying to cut us off from each other because God created us to be together. God didn't create us to be separate. God created family. God created community. God created people to fit together. And we've got to fight against that with everything we've got. Amen. Do you agree with me? Oh, that's the entree. In Jesus' name. Amen. Look at this scripture here. This is in Ephesians 2, 14 to 22. The Messiah. Oh. Is that right? No, I want to go, I want to go first to... The NIV version, sorry. Yeah, good girl. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. Are you listening? Let this stuff, you know, sometimes we read the scriptures and someone will read the scriptures and we just turn off. But I want you to listen to the scriptures right now as if it's God speaking to you. As if it's God the Father reading his book and you're listening like a child to your dad read a book to you, okay? So consequently, we're no longer foreigners and strangers but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building, as in you the building, not the building, is being joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together. Everyone say built together. Everyone say better together. To become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This is in the Message Bible. Listen to this. I love this. Same scripture in the Message Bible. The Messiah has made 
has made things up between us so that now together on this, both non-Jewish outsiders and Jewish insiders, he tore down the wall we used to keep each other at a distance. He repealed, repealed the law code that had become so clogged with fine print and footnotes that it hindered more than it helped. And then he started over. Instead of continuing with two groups of people, he's talking about Jews and Gentiles, but we're talking about two different types of people. Instead of starting with two different types of people, where am I up to, sorry? Oh, here I am. Instead of continuing with two groups of people separated by centuries of animosity and suspicion, he created a new kind of human being, a fresh start for everybody. That's who we are, born again. Christ brought us together through his death on the cross. The cross got us to embrace, and that was the end of the hostility. Christ came and preached peace to you outsiders and peace to us insiders. He treated us as equals and so made us equals. And through him, we both share, sorry, and through him, we both share the same spirit and have equal access to the Father. I love this part. That's plain enough, isn't it? You're no longer wandering exiles. This kingdom of faith is now your home country. You're no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here with as much right to the name of Christian as anyone. God is building a home. He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here. In what, in what he is building, he used the apostles, the prophets for the foundation, and now he's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. We see it taking shape every day, a holy temple built by God. All of us built into it, a temple in which God is quite at home. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Do you know I love the church? In fact, I love you. I love coming here on Sundays. I don't just attend church. I go to a building to hang out with my family, to be with my father. I think about you during the week. I think of the different, your different faces and your different personalities and even new ones that are coming in, getting to know. I love people's stories and who they are and their backgrounds. And It's so important that we don't have these opinion that we just attend church on a Sunday and then we do life. I'm not saying there's no life outside of church, but isn't it awesome if we can do life together? And that's why connect groups and things are so important, that we're connecting together and we're doing life together. Why are we better together? Let's ask the question. This is the foundation of this message, better together. So let's just ask the question straight up as we open up this month of better together. Why are we better together? Number one, we love better. When we're together, we love better. Listen to this. This is from, again, the, the Message Bible, Matthew 5, 43 to 48. You're familiar with the old written law. 
love your friend and its unwritten companion, hate your enemy. But I'm challenging that. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Love them that bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer. But then you are working out your true selves, your God-created selves. This is what God does. He gives his best, the sun to warm and the rain to nourish to everyone, regardless, the good, the bad, the nice and the nasty. If all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Anybody can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do you expect a medal? Any run-of-the-mill sinner does that. In a word, what I'm saying is grow up, you kingdom subjects. Now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously toward others the way God lives towards you. I don't know of any other place that loves unlovable people than the church. I love to love those that others would find unlovable. I was once unlovable myself, weren't you? In our, in our old fleshly nature, I'm sure all of us were. But when someone comes into this house, someone that you think, well, I wouldn't normally hang around a person like that. I wouldn't normally bring them into my special group. But there's something about the God love on the inside of us that opens our hearts to the unlovable. And what it does is it teaches us that the unlovable actually are the ones that love us the most. Because God said, Jesus said this, those who have been forgiven much, love much. And I find the most rewarding relationships that I've had, the ones that I will remember eternally, the ones that are sort of written in my family album, when I think about people, are the ones that were harder to love, took longer to love, but I got so much more out of it. I remember when Nathan Dees first came to the church, and I know I talk about Nathan a lot, because he's one of my family album people. And when he came to the church as an eight-year-old, he was so abused and he'd been through so much stuff. He used to punch you if you tried to even touch him. If you just put your hand on his shoulder, he would start punching into you, scream at you, cuss at you and run away because he had no idea of, of, of personal contact, of community, of family, of real love, of real interaction. All he knew was violence and abuse and yelling and, and fear as an eight-year-old. And I remember how long it took me and others within our church to just build bridges to Nathan, to build bridges of trust, slowly building bridges of trust over the years until all these years later, you know, 19 years later, he's in the church, he has a wife, he knows how to love his wife, he has these gorgeous boys that he knows how to love and he's a great dad, he's a great part of our community and I get hugs every Sunday because I sewed in to someone who was supposedly unlovable. In other words, I couldn't love him. He wouldn't let anyone love him. But I moved into it. We love better when we're together. We're better witnesses. Look at this in John 13, 34. Let me give you a new command. Love one another in the same way I loved you. 
love one another. This is how everyone will recognize that you are my disciples when they see that you, your love for one another. You know, when people look at the church, what's the first thing they say? You're a bunch of hypocrites, you're backstabbers, you're gossipers. You know, all that stuff goes on. I can honestly say, C3 Tugra, I am so proud of you. We are proud of you as pastors because I don't know any gossipers in this church. I don't know any backstabbers. Oh, we've all got our fleshly moments. Don't get me wrong, you're not perfect. Neither am I. But I don't know anybody in this church. I never hear anyone purposely gossiping or purposely running down someone else in their own church in this building. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud to be the mother of a family that choose not to say what they feel like they want to say. And I love the people that say, no, don't say that to me because that's not the culture of our church. We have a culture that loves. We don't talk about people. We only speak well. We speak well of this church. We speak well of every church. We don't run down any church. It's the church of the living God, amen? And we don't run down any other Christians, amen? Number three, we grow and are strengthened. We're better together because we grow and we're strengthened. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work, Ephesians 4, 15 to 16. We're strengthened, we grow, when we're together, when every part is doing its part, when we're allowed to be unique and incredible and beautiful in our own way, when we're allowed to express our gifts and our talents, when we're allowed to express our opinions and who we are, and we're allowed to feel as if we're important, then we grow and we build and we join together to become this beautiful body as each part does its work. Number four, we make Jesus happy. We make Jesus happy. It says here in Philippians 2.2, 2, then make me truly happy. Another translation says, make my joy complete by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. That's our church, guys. We're getting this down. We're actually... Yeah, don't be too excited now. That's our church, guys. We're doing this. Glory. We're doing it. Yeah. We might be infants at it. We might be just learning how to do it, but I truly believe we have something so special here. People, everyone that walks through that door said, man, there's love in this place. I just feel so, you know, we may not have a lot of other stuff. Do you know what I mean? But, but if we have love, you know, on Gemma's wall, she's got a, my daughter, she's got like a, a chalkboard thing in her wall and she writes up scriptures every now and again or whatever. And I went in there this week and she's got written on the greatest power that we have in the world is love greatest force there is in this whole world is love. If we can hang on to that, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbour as you love yourself. We get all the commandments right in those two. That's what Jesus said. Amen. <clears throat> we make Jesus happy. This is in the Message Bible. If you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, 
if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favour, agree with one another. Love each other. Be spirit, deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage, but get yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. I love that. Number five, why are we better together? Our odds are better. It says in Joshua 23.10, one will chase a thousand. And in Deuteronomy 32.29-31, it says two shall put 10,000. So if one can put a thousand to flight and two can set 10,000 to flight, that means that you will be over, able to overcome obstacles a thousand times your strength if we're together. You know, what, what, what force, what demon force in hell would dare come against a people who are joined together? They shake in their boots. When you're out there on your own, you're just out for the picking. You know, you might be able to set a thousand to flight, but what when the 10,000 come? You need at least one other person with you. Two. Two can set 10,000. What would it be like if we just joined hands right across this congregation, right across our church family, in every meeting place, in every connect group that we had? Man, we would be, we, the enemy would be fleeing left, right, and center. People would be getting set free and delivered, and bondages would be broken in our meetings everywhere, as they are. Because why? Because we're together and our odds are better together. Number six, the load is lighter and the good times are brighter. I make that up. Do you like that? I thought that was really cute. Is that a song, Julie? The load is lighter and the good times You can work on it. I'll give you permission to use my lyrics. 1 Corinthians 12, 25-26. It says this, the way God designed our bodies is a model for understanding our lives together as a church. Every part dependent on every other part. And the parts we mention and the parts we don't. The parts we see and the parts we don't. If any part hurts, listen to this, if any part hurts, every other part is involved in that hurt. And in the healing and in the healing. And if one part flourishes, every other part enters into exuberance. Have you felt that? Have you experienced that? That when someone in our church is hurting or going through pain or lost a loved one, going through stuff, that you feel like your heart is hurting as if it's your loved one that you've lost? It feels like you're hurting as if it's your pain, that you, their pain you're going through yourself. That's the body of Christ. That's how close we get, that we actually feel each other's pain, that we actually hurt for one another, and that we actually are a part, this is the part I like, of the healing journey for each other. 
you know, in the world and someone's hurting or they're down, you know, they don't want to hear your story. They don't want to hear your sad story. They'll reject you. They'll push you away. They just want to be around people that make you feel good. But in the church, you know, you can just walk past someone in the church and go, oh, I don't know what that is. I, I don't know. Are you going through something right now? Because I'm feeling like I'm hurting for you. And I don't know. What's going on? It's like, oh, yeah, you know, I had a bad week this week. Or this happened. Or my dad. Or my mom. Or my auntie. Or my sister. Or my cousin. Can you share it with me? Let's pray together. Let me partner with you in your pain as Christ partnered with me in my pain. Let me partner with you. Let's stand together. And as we pray together, we connect together, and then we're able to see and be a part of that person's healing journey. How many churches do you know that people just point out the sinners? Just point out the sinners. They're just like they're standing at the door and they're waiting for a sinner to come in that door. Oh, I can't believe that person's in our church. Don't you know they're a rotten sinner? Don't you know this person did this this week? Don't you know that person did that? Do you know that's not what people need? They need you to go up to them and say, you're struggling this week. I was feeling for you. You might have heard something. But what are you going to do, judge? Or are you going to go to that person and say, look, can I pray for you? Are you struggling in a certain area? I used to struggle in that area too. I reckon I can pray with you. I reckon I can partner with you. We're going to get a victory here. We're going to get a breakthrough. You don't have to be down on yourself. You don't have to fight this sin over and over and over again. Let's get a breakthrough. Let me be part of your healing journey with you. Let's pray and read the scriptures. I'll ring you up every day to see if you're doing okay. And you can be accountable to me. You can tell me your secrets. I'm not going to dob on you. I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to go and gossip about you behind your back. You can tell me your stuff and I'll pray with you and I'll stand with you and I'll keep it in confidence and I'm going to see you come through that healing journey together. And when you see people come through that healing and you know that you've been a part of that, you know that they've had a breakthrough in their physical bodies, in their, in their wars, in their lives, in their pain, when they're coming out of depression or they're coming out of grief and you know that your prayers have helped them get there, it's no greater joy than when you walk, see someone walk through the doors of the church and they've got a different countenance and you know you are part of that healing. Amen? Not part of their pain. And, when, and it says here, and when one part flourishes, every other part enters into exuberance. I mean, I know that right now we're going to be feeling for Beck. Toko as she goes into labour in the next week or so. And, and I know I'm, I'm like that. I'm like, it's like one of my kids is going to have a baby and I'm thinking, I'm praying that her birth is going to be fine. I feel like I'm going to feel the pain with her. I feel like I'm going to go through childbirth with her and I'm waiting for the phone call. I'm waiting for the text message. Has she gone into labour yet? I was messaging her yesterday. How's everything? Are you all right? Is it okay? Is everything all right? You know, we're going through that together. But I know when she gives birth to that baby, and we get to see that little baby and we put the picture up. We're all going to be, yes, this is a victory for our church. We've got a new little person. We've got a new family member. It's awesome. Number seven, our lives and our families are enriched. Our lives and our families. This is my second last point and I'll be finished. Our lives and our families are, are enriched. This is Acts 2. 41 to 47, again, in the Message Bible. It says, That day about 3,000 took him at his word, were baptised, 
and were signed up. They committed themselves to the teaching of the apostles, the life together, the common meal, and the prayers. Sounds like a connect group to me. Everyone around was in awe. All those wonders and signs done through the apostles and all the believers lived in a wonderful harmony, holding everything in common. They sold whatever they owned and pooled their resources so that each person's need was met. They followed a daily discipline of worship in the temple, followed by meals at home. Every meal, a celebration, exuberant and joyful as they praised God. People in general, people in general, like the general public, liked what they saw. And every day their number grew as God added to those who were being saved. I love this. I love the idea of connect groups. I love the idea of getting, you know, don't think that a connect group is somewhere you just go and do a dry Bible study and say a prayer and go home and it's awkward and it's, you know, our connect groups are really people gathering together in a home where it's warm and it's cosy and it's loving and it's friendly and getting around a table and having a meal together, breaking bread together, sharing each other's lives, getting in each other's lives, walking through each other's stuff. Yes, we do, we do Bible studies together and we pray together, but we're in there getting to know each other, walking with each other. Connect groups are about connecting. <laughs> this is a revelation for you like that video we play where all the connections come together and they make the cross. I love that. I just love, I was, I was talking to Ra and, and um, his vision for the youth and their team, what they're working on right now. And He said, you know, the main thing, Pastor Julie, is that we're within youth, we're, we're really got a lot of kids that are coming from, you know, unusual backgrounds. And well, which are common backgrounds now, really. And he said, most of these kids, they're in this place because they don't know how to have real relationship because they don't have it at all. And he said, the majority of those kids have never sat down and had a family dinner. They just eat whatever, you know, noodles in the cupboard or whatever and they all... Everyone help yourself and if there's any food, you can sit by the TV and watch it or sit on the floor. It's not like that sense of family, community. There's not, they don't have any sense of that. And he said, for me to build the youth to another level, I want to get this revelation through the kids. So starting next week, what they're going to do is they're going to have these nights called family dinner. And they're going to set up this hall with a huge table, long table, where all the kids get to sit around a table and they're going to sit, the, the youth team are going to actually serve the kids a meal and they're going to fill up their drinks and they're going to clean their plates away and they're going to serve them and let them feel and then they're going to sit at the table with them and let them feel what it's like to sit at a family table and have a family meal with a family. I didn't cry when he told me that. I said, I want to come. I want to be at that table. I want to eat with those kids. I want to tell, I want to show them what it's like to be at a table and have a mum there. That's church. I love it. I love it. 
our lives and our families get enriched. How many kids come to church, go to kids' church here and are just enriched by just your kids coming to church? My kids grew up under the chairs. They grew up in the church. They came to two services every Sunday, midweek meetings, connect groups, worship practice, and they are incredible. I think you would agree that my children, if you know them, there's one, another one. And my grandkids can't wait to come to church. And Joey's five and she says, I don't want to go to kids' church. Why do you want to go to kids' church? I just love to sit here and listen. And she just sits. She likes kind of big church and just sit and listen. She takes it all in. She just she doesn't muck around. She doesn't colour in. She sits. And she takes it in at five years old and it's building things. It enriches our families. It enriches our lives meeting together. And now my last point, why are we better together? We receive a corporate anointing. Acts 2, 1 to 2 says this, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all in one accord, in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Can I just have the worship team please? I don't think there's any greater thing that we can have together, like better together, than that corporate anointing. Who loves it when we worship together and you can just, you can feel the atmosphere change when we're in church together. You know, a lot of people say, oh, what do I need to go to church for? I'm a Christian. You know, I can just stay home and worship God. I can watch something on TV. But they're, they're missing out on the, on, the, on the together, the humanness of of, of looking at someone in the eye, of worshipping, of, of sitting next to someone, of sharing someone's life, of being a body, of being together. We need each other. I need you. Do you need me? God says that he brings the lonely into families. And you know, it doesn't matter how many people you've got around you, you can still be lonely. But when the walls start coming down, and you're in a church, in a place, in a community where you don't have to put any airs and graces, no fronts, you know, no fake smiles. You're allowed to be you. You're allowed to be you in all your complexity and all your beauty and all your wonder and in all your stuff. When you're accepted like that, there's no greater place to be. And when we come to each other, we come to church, and we're real, and we're transparent, we're human, we come before God like that, there is a corporate anointing that happens because we're one body, we're joining together at the same level of real vulnerability, of real love. Let's stand to our feet this morning. Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you right now for the words of your Bible. Thank you for the message translation. It just makes it so, so much fun. I thank you, Lord, for every person in this building, every person within the sound of my voice on podcast. I pray, God, that you would teach us, teach us how to love, teach us how to be your church, teach us how we're better together, 
Lord, right now we just lay down, we just lay down every every preconceived idea. We lay down every pain, every every unforgiveness towards anybody that we have right now, any judgment. Lord, we just lay it down. And we choose to love God. We choose, we choose, we choose, we choose to love each other. Father, I pray as Jesus prayed, Father, make us one. Father, make us one. Hallelujah. In Jesus' mighty name. We hope you enjoyed listening to this message. For more information on what you've just heard or how to visit us, go to c3talgra.org.au. We hope to see you at church soon. Let's